Okay, welcome. This is my first podcast. I'm going to be talking about art, maybe some other subjects, but mostly art. Today I'm going to talk about color, how I use color, and I'm going to try to simplify it. It's not going to be a technical talk, but I hope it's of value. But first, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our sponsor, Korsakoff Plutonium and Enriched Uranium. Korsakoff, go big or go home. My original plan was to do the podcast by myself. After a few run-throughs, about 20 minutes into it, I found myself searching in vain for an intelligent thought. I came to the conclusion it might be a good idea to bring someone in to help move this conversation along. So I called my good friend Glenn Jaffe from Primitive in Chicago, and I asked him if he would lend a hand. So going forward, we're going to have Glenn for future podcasts. We'll touch on a lot of subjects, including the relationships between uh, the artist and the dealer. And today's podcast, we started out talking about the mindset I have when I approach a painting. And I'm going to cut into the conversation here. The use of color in your paintings uh, was derived not from your palette of five colors. It was derived from your continual work over time. And then to the point where finally it just becomes intuitive. So I hope I'm interpreting for the audience my my take on what's going on here color-wise, because we're dealing with words to describe an essentially visual experience. I think at some point, if you're painting you have to detach yourself from theory and color. It's like a musician, you practice scales, but at some point you can't be counting in your head the number of beats and, and same thing as with color. You have to go on your instincts. So, it, so are you suggesting that um, for the practiced and experienced professional, there comes a point where this just becomes intuitive as opposed to having to really think about it. And once you have that freedom uh, to uh, play with color, that uh, it's only there that a person would develop their own approach and sense of style regarding color? Yeah, I I think you you have to. I think um, you have to develop a sensibility for it. And like a lot of other things, uh, food, wine, fashion, the more you look or experience uh, things that are respected in their various uh, art forms, artists that you like and appreciate, the more you develop a sensibility. And I think you have to start using your sensibility, your judgment. That sounds really repetitive and stupid. Not really. <laughs> uh, so. In other words, what you're saying is that color is, let me rephrase that. Are you saying that color becomes an essential component of a person's style, an artist's style? Um, Well, Mr. Muller, I would say, uh, (laughs) I would say it's one part of style. I mean, certainly wouldn't be someone's style for someone who's doing black and white woodcuts. Right. So... Yeah, it's it's one aspect of what makes somebody's 
Uh, can, a painter. Well, it can be one aspect. Yeah, a painter. But I mean, there's painters that Franz Klein. You know, yeah, right. I mean, you could you could be painting in black and white. I think color is is a great expressor of mood. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of people that uh, paint with very specific. You can you can identify the artist just by looking at the color in the painting. And there's some artists that that's it's the line quality. Do you think that's common that somebody will look just at color? If I were to isolate, you know, four square inches of a painting, and uh, uh, do you think somebody could identify uh, just based on color alone? Uh, I'm very um, sensitive to that. So I can look when I think of Cezanne, I think of specific color. I think of the greens he used. I think of the kind of bricky reds that he used. Mm-hmm. When I think of Monet, I think uh, the violets and the greens, and specific violets and greens, not just you know mm-hmm. the generic. But I do think that there are some artists definitely you can identify by by color yeah absolutely i mean people have very different takes on color is it because they've mixed a color that becomes endemic to them or is it something uh, other than that almost like a like a signature yeah i think it is a signature and i think people do tend to mix um when people talk about changing palette color, they want to they want to put different colors on their palettes. At least in my experience, and other artists that I've talked to, I find out that we still end up making paintings that look like us because we adjust. Even if we start out with different colors, we mix a certain way. We have a certain aesthetic or certain limitations when you start out that that keep you mixing in a certain direction. But there's. I Do mean, you find that you mix the same colors over and over again? Annoyingly so. And <laughs> do you find that through the years you've had, you know, what's developing into a long and illustrious career, do you find that over time that set, if you will, of colors has changed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've gone through all kinds of, I mean, phases. As, as you all know, yeah, phases where I was using really saturated color where i was using really muted color your eye it's it's like anything else your your eye develops and things that you thought were good when you were younger may look garish to you now or Mm. or may look uh, less sophisticated to your eye right and you change and and you develop but in those set periods where you're moving through one stylistic uh, approach in color to another, the paintings tend to have a, a similarity. Now, some people do- The change. color itself becomes the common denominator. Yeah, and, and when I say color, you know, it, it doesn't just mean like when I say Cezanne and, and green and that brick color, or Monet and, and the Purpose violets and the and greens. It's not that he always uses those colors, but his sensitivity towards a certain type of, uh, combinations, certain combinations that he repeats. Uh, and it's just overall, even if he's using a, a different palette, there's just something about the work that you tend to. Well, he's conveying all these artists that you're bringing up. And I think you as well, 
are you're combining color and light to convey a specific mood. So now that begs the question, how much does light affect your choice of color or your choice of color affect light in terms of the mood you want to convey? That's a tough question because I I would imagine it's different for uh, different artists. I do a lot of nocturnes. So sometimes I think just I'll look at a scene, I'll usually have a little sketch, little drawing, and I'll in my mind think about what color, what dominant color scheme is going to best represent what I'm the thumbnail sketch that I've done. And I'll stay with that. And then the colors that kind of grow up around that uh, original color scheme are usually made um, just by personal choice, just by what I think, you know, simply looking at the landscape, what's on my painting, what's, what's, what is a good color that's going to move the piece forward. So I'm, uh, looking actually now at two paintings side by side, uh, they're small uh, oil on board or are these acrylic? These, uh, are-, these are actually acrylic. Yeah. Okay. So uh, one is uh, decidedly in the lavender purple scheme of things with uh, looks like, uh, you know, very, very dark uh, green uh, gray highlights. Uh, and the other is decidedly on the blue uh, scale. Uh, the blue one is sort of, uh, it, it's an aerial landscape. Imagine arriving in uh, uh, Seattle or Paris or uh, New York uh, right at dusk and you're looking out the window from, you know, 2,000 feet and you took a photo. And uh, it's uh, two land masses with water in the middle. And the other is uh, sort of a bay scene, uh, the purple one. Uh they're clearly two different palettes, both out, both landscape paintings, if you will. Mm-hmm. What what informed your choices about uh, the palette? Well, first off, for the people who can't see the pictures, I, I would, um, I mean, you you described the aerial scene more, but the other one is they're both nocturne paintings, right? So, in a nocturne setting you typically, you lose a lot of, you don't have the light that you would have in the day and you you lose not only color, but forms tend to blend together. So- There's a haze. Well, it's it's almost, I mean, if you were doing a, a upright trees and, and both these landscapes are more of a, a vista view, but if you were doing upright trees and you had one tree shape in front of another, it might appear in your in your vision or your field of vision as one object, not two objects. You may, you may not even see where one tree starts and one tree ends. It just becomes one big shape. So doing a nocturne paintings, I have to think about that. And I don't want to give too much detail of a separation of objects. So not only in that separation of objects, uh, I don't want to show too much detail, but in the colors themselves, because you're not going to see multiple colors like you would in the daytime. Right. And it's that 
for me uh, in examining these paintings, it's the uh, this sort of tight color range and the lack of detail that creates the mood. Right. It, it, more so, much more so than the composition. Well, perhaps, I don't, I don't know. It's for me. Yeah, for you. Um, detail, when you, when you think about, you know, Zen, Zen minimalism and stuff, mm-hmm. you, at some point, you don't want to ruin the harmony of a painting by throwing a bunch of things in there that you don't need. And I'm always trying to strive for a minimal uh, approach to my painting, both in color and in design. And in other words, you're stripping it down to, to basic elements. Yeah. Yeah. In the best work, I think if, if, you know, for a, What are the basic elements for you, for you as an artist? Well, it it depends on the painting. It depends on the the thumbnail that I've drawn. It depends on what I'm wanting you to look at. And this particular, the aerial painting, it's it's the overall view, but I've highlighted one of the lights to give you uh, a perspective. Well, not only a perspective, but but a focal area, but I've also eliminated, you know, thousands of lights in the painting because I don't think they're necessary that, you know, there becomes a point when how much do you want to actually describe of the actual landscape Mm -hmm. and how much do you want to leave? So for me, you know, relative to composition, the light in this painting, I'm talking about the light, like it's like a, you know, a light bulb Uh uh, is a part of the composition. And for me, all these compositions, they, they put us in a particular place. That's the setting. But I'm talking about the mood. And the mood is conveyed for me mm-hmm. by the use of color and by the lack of detail. There are two things we just mentioned briefly. So I think the, for me, the composition is, while it's interesting and it puts me in a certain place, the mood of it and what keeps me lingering, uh, for example, uh, on the painting, as opposed to if this were a photograph and mm-hmm. uh, um, what keeps me here is sort of this, this quiet deciphering of the mood, which is brought about uh, by color. Uh-huh. So I come back to uh, one, I'm looking at one decidedly uh, lavender purple, uh, piece and one decidedly blue piece. And uh, I've seen, for example, on the piece that I'm looking at that's that's purple, uh, I've seen you do the same type of things uh, in blue. And then the one mm-hmm. that is blue here, I've, although I've never seen it in purple, could easily be translated that way. Although I actually, I have. So the question is, on these particular pieces, what, where did, why did you go down that lane? Why did you go down the blue lane here and the purple lane there? Okay. Um, well, a couple things. First, I want to address sometimes elements, even like the composition, have to be subtle. If, if it becomes too obvious, then it starts to look gimmicky. So you want to... Uh, contrived. Yeah. So... The composition is there to move you 
through the piece, hopefully the way that I want you to move through the piece. But in this lavender painting, there is a lot of brown. Right. And there, there are elements that are moving you through the painting, but they're subtle when the painting is subtle. Sometimes the choice of, of blue versus lavender or a color uh, is just me wanting to try something different. Sometimes it's literally, I think this is going to be better. Sometimes, now these are small paintings and, and I don't believe in this is the case in either of these, but sometimes it's me painting over a painting several times until I get the right color that I want. Right. And so I don't, I don't always have a set uh, plan. I mean, if I painted five of these type of paintings in a row, I would probably change the Is color. the driving force here then? The feeling you want to convey? Yes, always. I, I wanna have some type of emotional impact, but I don't consciously think about it. I don't look at a painting and say, oh, if I move that here, that'll give more well, that's the, that's I mean, that might that's be freedom just, with that comes with experience. It's developing a sensitivity for uh, color and design and all these things. It's just it's it's kind of working on a subconscious level. So I'll I'll do paintings. I mean, there's numerous times when I'll send a painting to a friend, a trusted friend, and um, I'll say is this, you know, something or other? And sometimes I'll get a yes, it is. Or sometimes I'll get, no, it's not that. It's it's the design over there, the horizon, you know, something. They'll give me a technical point and I'll say, oh, you know, and I'll move on and, and fix it. But it is a lot of just putting marks down and then looking at those marks and then saying, just like uh, design, is that color does that color go with what I'm doing? Does it advance uh, your point of view? Yeah, exactly. And I don't even, I mean, you say that and, I, and I'm nodding as you're saying that, but when I'm painting, I honestly don't think in those terms. Oh, it's not a, yeah. it, because, because you're an experienced working professional. And it's, uh, I would say it's like a musician, you know, playing the same song over and over again. And can you make it, uh, fresh and new each time. And then every once in a while, you just go, oh, wait a minute, I'm gonna you know, try something entirely different. Right. Over time, the repertoire changes. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Just like, a, and those are the, mo the movements you know, that you look at in the arc of somebody's career. So we just uh, you know, sort of riffed on the uh, lavender purple painting and the blue painting. But I'm looking at another painting right now, Brian, that is, uh, uh, this is a, a landscape and it's a sort of a grove of trees seen from, you know, 50 yards uh, with uh, water on the right-hand side and a beautiful um, sunset or sunrise uh, with the clouds and the, the light illuminating the bottom of the clouds. And the issue here is not just the use of color. And this, this is... Uh, it's a quasi nocturne painting, I guess is what I would say. Um, but it's, it, the issue here is composition because I can, I can distinguish when I really examine this up close, I can distinguish 
the separation in the trees. It isn't just a, you know, a block of a, of a, of a shape. I can clearly see that there's multiple trees with their trunks. Um, although the, the, uh, the shape itself is beginning to be diffused because, because of the light. How, how much attention did you pay to composition in this particular painting and design as opposed to, for example, uh, the other two that we were discussing, more or less or the same? I made very specific compositional choices because it had a strong diagonal going from middle left to down to the left corner. So in order to counterbalance that, I felt like I needed movement in the sky and created a, a cloud that was going in the opposite direction, just because I thought that that was such a strong diagonal that that would pull you off of the, your, pull your eye off of the canvas. So in this particular painting, which has some elements that I, I kind of might use over and over, it does have a, um, a different type of color harmony. There's more complementary color in this painting. Uh, complementary color being using the blues and the oranges, the purples and the yellows mm. um, than I do in, in some of my paintings. But there are definitely some conscious choices and those choices were made because at some point in the painting, I'm looking at the painting and saying, this isn't something that isn't right. And I have to do something. Mm -hmm. I look at your paintings and I, I can immediately look at a painting and know it's a Brian Sindler painting. And that's because of your use of color, the composition, the design, the settings that you inevitably choose to uh, present. It's not because you're looking at the signature. No, there's nothing whatsoever <laughs> to do with the signature, which is interesting. Um, and that's a, the subject of another podcast. So you have a unique visual language, which only will come about through a continual, I don't want to use the word attack, but I'll use it, attacking daily this work. You don't, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens right. over time. And the use of color in your paintings uh, was derived not from your palette of five colors. It was derived from your continual work over time. Yes. And then to the point where finally it just becomes intuitive. So I hope I'm interpreting for the audience you know, my, my take right. on what's going on here color-wise because we're dealing with words to describe a, an essentially visual experience. Right. You think it's time for some questions? I was absolutely thinking that. So here's the first question. Uh, what's your favorite blue harmony? Do you mix a potent blue like a phthalo with black? Um, I do use phthalo blue. That is my go-to blue on my palette. Uh, I don't, I won't say ever, but I rarely use black. Um, I carry a pretty simple palette and on occasion 
I've used black, but the, the only thing that I really like black for is for mixing greens with yellow. But my harmony um, for the paintings that uh, are in the blue, a lot of the aerial paintings, a lot of what I do in those paintings are based on the medium that I'm using, which is the acrylic paint. And some of the things that I do are difficult to do in oil. So I'll tend to lay a lot of um, different types of blues going from dark to light um, as it goes back into space and obviously getting lighter and bluer as it goes into the distance. And some of that harmony is set off by the kind of grays that are in that um, blue to kind of give a little bit of shimmer. And then also I've got some subtle, um, like in this aerial painting here, there's some subtle browns that kind of act like an, an orange against a blue because the blue isn't a pure blue, it's a greenish blue. Do you have a go-to blue? Well, the blue that I use, that I'll have on my palette 90% of the time is phthalo blue. And it's a phthalo blue red shade. So it's not that uh, greener type of phthalo. It's, it's got a little bit of red, uh, but it's not like ultramarine blue. Okay, Rachel, we hope that answers your question. Next question. So the next question is, how many palette boxes do you use and why? I have about seven or eight palette boxes. I know the, the person that asked this question saw, I posted a picture of um, my, the back of my car from a plane air trip. And um, I had about seven boxes back there. I bring multiple boxes with me because uh, if I do a painting, I wanna be able to have those colors if I have to make a change to it later on. Cause I'll go out in the morning, I'll do a painting throw it in a, in a box, go on out and do another painting. Later, if I look at the paintings and I think I want to move something a little bit, I want to make that tree a little smaller or, or do something, I have the colors that I mixed in the box and they're there. And because acrylic uh, shifts value and sometimes color. Um, when it dries? As it dries, yeah, thank you. Um, I like to be able to have that available. It's just a time saver. And instead of having to experiment and, and mix up paint. So you mixed all your colors and it takes seven palette boxes of which you may use just a small number in the course of a painting, but you want to have the freedom to make changes. Well, I use one palette box per painting and I may use it for several paintings. And sometimes I have the little puddles of paint off to the side and then I have to try to remember which one was for which painting, but I'll use a separate, I use a box for a painting and I'll mix colors as I'm painting. Right. And I usually mix fairly decent sized puddles of paint. So the chances are I'm going to have, if I have land, tree, sky and water, I'm going to have a little puddle of that paint left over. And it's just way more convenient and a huge time saver to have that than to go back and start mixing, especially if I'm going to move a tree that's attached to the ground, that's attached to the sky. And now I have three different areas right. that I have to go in. Right. 
I can do it in minutes as opposed to a half hour. Mm -hmm. So I do it out of convenience. In the studio, I carry, I have about uh, three that I rotate through. Here's a lay question. Yeah. How many colors per palette box um, typically? Well, you're jumping ahead because I know somebody else answered that question. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So someone did ask uh, how many palettes do I, how many colors do I use and what are those colors? I use a very limited palette and um, I have one yellow. I use cadmium yellow light. I have two reds. One is a nap red, which is about, it's somewhere between a cad red light and a cad red medium. And I use a permanent crimson and phthalo blue. So I have gone out and when I want to do, and this is a, this is a palette that's, uh, I do tend to interrupt myself a lot, don't I? It's okay. Okay. You're, you're human. You got to hold the mic up for this. Nobody's going to hear you. That's okay. I said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're human. Um, when I do go out and paint in the day, in the last year or two, I've been adding some colors to the palette. And I have to preface this because I didn't say this earlier, but I only started doing acrylic in plain air um, exclusively last year was the first year. So I use a lot of acrylic in my studio during the off season. And then I would paint in oil in the, in the plain air season. But now I've um, switched to doing acrylic uh, both in plain air and in the studio. Have you um, abandoned oil? Uh, I haven't abandoned it. I've just uh, taking a break. Taking a break for a while. I'm um, so when I when I'm asked about color, I was adding color in my oil. Um, I haven't really done it that much in acrylic. I'll add an occasional ochre or something like that. I do a lot of low light paintings, so I don't know that it's an appropriate palette for somebody who's doing high key, uh, daylight, bright. Brighter. Yeah, yeah I have done it with that palette, but it's a lot easier if you add, you know, uh, some other colors. And also for expediency, if you're painting outside and it is probably easier to have a green on your palette, a sap green or something like that to, to get to the greens faster and then you can adjust them. I'm just so used to that limited palette. It's, it's comfortable for me. So. The next question is from Sesame Lettuce. You know who you are. And the question is, um, do you have any tips to avoid um, breaking the mood that develops in a painting? In other words, uh, how do you avoid mood breaking colors? I think, you know, mood breaking comes from a few things or, or can come from a few things. Anytime you're, if you have a very simple landscape, very minimal landscape, and you start putting a bunch of detail that doesn't need to be in there, that can break the mood. If you have a very subtle uh, landscape or, or painting, whether it's landscape or still life or figurative, 
and you've developed a very subtle palette with, with um, a small amount of values. And then you get start to get jumpy with your values. You put really dark darks in there and spot them or light lights. That can break the mood. When it comes to color, the, simply stated, if you think about your painting and you think about the way you would dress, if you had a navy blue suit on and a light blue or white shirt, you probably wouldn't put a green and orange tie on. And that's kind of how I look at color. To me, that would be a mood breaker. So if you've developed a painting that's in a violet uh, blue color scheme, and all of a sudden you're putting colors in that are garish or just clash with, with what you've already established, those things will break the mood. Is it fair to say, keep it within the spectrum? Well, you can have, that's tough to say. I mean, it's the mood now for me, for my mood, I've got a, a somewhat melancholy, maybe somber mood in some of these paintings. For somebody else, their mood might be, you know, joyous poppies of, you know, fields of flowers. So the spectrum can go. It's the spectrum conveyed by the, the, the color, conveyed right. by the, you know, right. the, of the mood, right. if you will. I mean, if you were painting um, a field of poppies and you, you put up some big steel painted green uh, water silo up there, is it water silo or water, yeah, sure. whatever the hell those things that hold the water. Um, water tower. Water tower, thank you. You know, if you had some object in your landscape that's so out of character with the rest of the painting and that out of character can be just the color it could be the value it could be an what object it is so yeah i think so keep it simple and be a competent editor editing is everything i think it's uh it's as just as important what you leave out that the, is just as important as what you what put you, in. Yes. Thank you. Next question. Next question is, can you uh, comment on the importance of value? Yeah, this one comes from my buddy, Tim Bell. Um, value is obviously very important in painting. Um, you can look at a black and white picture and you still get the sense of of what you're looking at because it's the value structure that creates the form of what we look at. But I've heard some people make arguments that value is everything and color is secondary. And I think, or I think if you look at it in terms of how we're so geared towards color in our world, they paint a hospital wing a certain color because people are going to be more at ease when they go in to have see a doctor or have an operation. They'll paint dining rooms red, maybe because it stimulates the appetite or brothels red. 
<laughs> so one of the two. Uh, and, and what does that simulate? No, don't go there. <laughs> but so we have all these all these terms that that are completely geared towards color: green with envy, red with anger. You know all the things that people know and right. talk about. So we know on some level that just pure color can actually um, influence mood. Influence mood. So. Uh, notwithstanding the importance of value, it has its own place, but color, I think is really between the two. I would argue that color is the thing that creates the mood. Value creates the, the anchor of the painting, but color is the thing that can really create the mood. Would you say color creates the mood and value creates the ambience? Well, it's, it's not this. I mean, you can look at a Van Gogh drawing and there's a, a black and white ink drawing and there's a ton of mood or Rembrandt ink drawing. Now you could argue that some of that mood's created by the character of the, of the pen work, you know, just the rhythm of the line and everything. I don't know that anything is that cut and dry that one is one. Is one. I think they all work Blend together. Yeah, they work in conjunction with each other. Right. But, and, uh, I, I guess what I was saying is uh, uh, substitute atmosphere for ambiance. Yeah, I mean, you could get atmosphere. You could take uh, colors. I, I mean, it, yeah, it, it gets very sticky because if you, if you go into space and you start to, to gray out your color or blue out your color as it goes into the distance, but you're still lightening it. So it's, it's still a value change. Right. Um, but the impressionists are very, I mean, if you look at the way an impressionist paints a sunset or a sunrise versus the way a tonalist will paint it, a tonalist will paint it. If you change that painting to black and white, a tonalist painting will still hold up in the same way because it's done in such a way that the values are coming out where an impressionist might put an orange in the sky mm -hmm. that, could be darker than the sky itself, which is not what nature gives us, but it's a representation. Like a child drawing on a, a, a drawing and putting the sun and leaving a white paper, you know, or on, in the sun, it's just, we have these things built in our psyche. So it's not completely cut and dry. Right. In other words, mood and the atmosphere overlap to such a great extent that it's oftentimes difficult to unravel. Right. And a lot of it is uh, contingent on value and a lot of it is contingent on color choice. There's mystery about why certain things work. I, I'm, I mean, you can take a painting and you can, whether it's your own painting or in a master's painting and you can copy it. And usually the original is gonna be better. And you can copy it note for note, tone for tone, but there's something about the spontaneity that can't be copied. When you look at that and you think, well, if you look at that scientifically, it's the same colors, it's the same values. Why is this one better? And I think it is great that there's, that there's some mystery. So I think that does it with the questions and i um, gonna wrap up this podcast. I really wanna thank Glenn for coming over here. And uh, it was my great pleasure. But before we go, I'd like to make a couple of corrections. Um, earlier when I was talking about my palette, I said I used cad yellow light and I actually used cad lemon yellow. 
Also, I'd like to clarify that when I was talking about composition and design, although I don't usually consciously think about it while I'm painting, if I'm having a problem with my painting, it's the first place that I'll look. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, I appreciate it. I hope that this was of value to anyone who's trying to figure their way out through the world of color. I hope to be back again with Glenn because I don't know how I could do this without him. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.